How many of you have ever done something terribly wrong? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. How many of you had intentionally done something terribly wrong? Raise your other hand. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we got some honest people here today. Back when I was a sophomore in high school, I made a decision, an intentional decision to cheat. And the main reason was because my English teacher of my sophomore year of high school, uh, who looked like Leslie Nielsen from Naked Gun. Anybody remember Leslie? Um, He decided to give us a a vocabulary spelling test every Friday, which I thought was ridiculous. And so I decided to rebel and I figured out how to cheat really well. I uh, started to write really small and I'd write the words out on a little cheat sheet and vocabulary words, spelling words, and I would hold it in my left hand. I'm not proud of this. Do not try this if you're a student here today. Um, But for most of the uh, halfway through the semester, I was doing really, really well on Fridays on my spelling tests um, until one particular Friday, uh, Leslie walks over to me and uh, sitting. I was sitting in the front row because my last name starts with an A, right? So this is a bold move to cheat right under the teacher's nose. But I was I was rebelling. Um, and so he walks over to me, he says, Mr. Anderson, uh, you know how like they did in, 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 in the Matrix? Mr. Anderson, okay, dating myself a little bit. Anyway, he says, open your left hand in front of the whole class. And I was like, oh, I open it up slowly out in the hallway, takes me out in the hallway, gives me this, you know, lecture. He's so mad at me, calls my mom my mom, my mom is a little five foot three Puerto Rican fireball. Some of you know about her. I've talked about her before. I get in all kinds of trouble. I get punished. It was probably the most embarrassing moment of my life up to that point. And I felt something stronger than I've ever felt before in my life. And it was this thing called shame. Deep shame. Not just embarrassment, but Shame. We're in a series right now called Internal Enemies, and we've been talking about this big idea that we introduced to you in week number one, that there are things inside of us that can do far more damage than anything outside of us. Things like anger and envy and anxiety. We talked about anxiety last week. Today, I want to talk to you about this fourth internal enemy called shame. We don't talk about it a lot. When's the last time you heard a sermon from a pastor on shame? It's just not something that is discussed. In fact, even in the secular world, people don't talk a lot about shame. And I think there's a reason for that. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to handle it. We don't know how to talk about it. We don't know how to get rid of it. This thing called shame. What is shame? I want to put a target on the wall for you so everybody knows what we're actually discussing. This is a definition of shame. I don't think it's perfect, but it's a great place to start. Shame is an intense feeling of embarrassment about something that you've done or something that's been done to you. Sometimes things happen to you that you're ashamed about, particularly sexual abuse or some type of abuse. It's not your fault it happened to you, but you end up feeling shame over it. Something that you do or something that's been done to you. I also think that there's other forms of shame. Shame that come from not living up to the values of our culture. We can be shamed by coworkers and friends and people in our family because we didn't meet the standards of the family or the standards of the, of the, of the company or the standards of the team or the standards of what is normal and we can be shamed by people around us just by not living up to the standards of the culture. Shame, an intense feeling of embarrassment because of something we've done or something that's been done to us or not living up to the standards around us. There's a, a leading author, about the only person who is talking about this issue 
Um, and, and her name is Brene Brown. And some of you have heard about her. She's written several books. This is one of them called Daring Greatly. She became famous on this topic because she did a bunch of research and then she ended up doing a TED Talk, a 17-minute TED Talk. Has anybody seen her TED Talk? A kajillion people have seen it by now. I'm not kidding. Like millions and millions of people have seen it. And uh, so she got, kind of got catapulted into the spotlight and said, hey, nobody else is talking about this. You've done a bunch of research. You've written some books on it. What is the deal with shame? In this particular book, she talks about what the definition is, but then she also talks about the consequences of shame. Listen to what she says here. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed. And therefore, because we are flawed, we are unworthy of love and belonging. So it's not just a feeling of embarrassment. Yes, it is. But then it goes to another level of I am worthless. I, have, I don't belong. Nobody loves me. I won't ever find a place in this world. That is shame. And, and we can feel shame about all kinds of things. We can feel shame about losing a job. We can feel shame about having to go to AA meetings to pull out of some sort of addiction. We can feel shame about, about, about all kinds of things in our life. We can feel shame about a spouse leaving us, a boyfriend, girlfriend leaving us, like embarrassment and shame over that. We can feel shame about a DUI. I got caught one night drinking and got arrested. And, you know, we can feel shame about all infertility is a big issue. Can't have a baby and we feel shame over that. We can feel shame about internet pornography. We just can't seem to get over it. And so it's this shameful thing in our lives. We can feel shame about flunking out of school or not going to college. I mean, you name it. We can feel shame about almost anything. We can feel shame about having to go to jail. Some of us have been in jail. Some of us are watching. We're incarcerated right now. We can feel shame about that. We can feel shame about family members being incarcerated or getting in trouble with the law. I mean, you name it. There's so many things that we can feel shame over. This deep sense of embarrassment that makes us feel like we don't have anywhere to go or no, we're, we're not worthy of love. Where does it come from? What is the source of shame? Because again, we gotta talk about what the root is if we wanna fix this issue. I believe the root source of shame is this, is this dual you know, versions, these, these dual versions that we have of ourselves. The first one is the good you. And the good you does no wrong and the good you has it all together. And the good you gets great grades or does well at work and, you know, it's nice and thin and has clear skin and your hair is always done and your house is always clean and, <laughs> and even your dogs smell nice. You know, it's like, this is the good you, okay? And, and we all have this idea of ourselves and our minds. And then there's this other version of us. It's the bad you. And the bad you is just, you know, your cheese is slipping off your cracker, you know, the house is a mess. You're late, you're behind on the bills, you know, you're, you can't seem to stay up with the laundry, you know, your, your nails, you, you know, and your hair, gosh, you know, the kids are disobedient, you know, you're struggling at work, whatever. The bad you is just, just all the ways that you're failing. And here's where shame comes from. Shame, in your notes there, shame can emerge when we haven't lived up to the ideal version of ourselves or the good you. This is, this is the source of shame. I, I, I didn't do it. I, I should have been better. This shouldn't have happened to me. I should have been more prepared. In fact, write this down in your notes somewhere. Should is the language of shame. I should have. I should have. It shouldn't have. I should have been a better parent. I should have been on my game. I should have followed up. I should have sent those emails. I should have. I should have. I should have. In fact, one person said, people who struggle with shame are shooting all over themselves. 
thought that was pretty funny. You might not find that funny. You can send me an email later. They said, man, there's shit everywhere. You know what I'm saying? It's just all over the place. I should have, I should have, I should have, I should have. And it's true. It's true. You talk, if you want to, you know, if you want to know if you're a person that deals with shame, the word should is always in, oh man. And, and what, we're, what you're talking about when you use the word should is this, this, the tension between the good version of you, what you should have done or should have been, or you know, what you should have accomplished by now, and the type of parent you should be, and what's really happening. And that, fe- that, that, that tension or that, you know, that gap that's created is, is where shame emerges. Another word for this is perfectionism. Perfectionism. Brene Brown talks about this in her books. She wrote another book called The Gifts of Imperfection. Fantastic read. She says in that book, where perfectionism exists, shame is always lurking. Like if you, if you are going to just commit to say, I have to be the good version of me, you're going to fail. <laughs> And then when you fail and the, the, when you realize, you come to grips with reality, you're going to have this, this gap, this tension, and, and you're going you're gonna to be plunged into shame if you don't deal with it correctly. Why do we need to talk about this? I mean, this isn't fun. You know, internal enemies. Can't we talk about something encouraging? <laughs> you know, why do we have to talk about guilt and shame or, or, or even anger or anxiety? And here's why. Because shame, like anger, if we don't deal with it, starts a vicious cycle. It's just like anger. Remember we talked about anger. If we don't deal with anger, it turns into bitterness and then resentment and then, you know, mistreatment. And then it's just whole cycle. It's just... It works the same way with shame. Shame is sort of a gateway emotion, like a gateway drug. If we give in to shame, all kinds of other dark emotions become possible. Let me show you how the cycle works. There's some sort of event that takes place. You know, you get caught cheating in English class. Something happens. You do something you know you shouldn't have done. Something happens to you. And in this cycle, we're going to deal with things that, this is, this more, this is more or less along the lines of things that, that you have done wrong. This doesn't deal with all the types of shame, but this is the typical cycle that, that, uh, that follows. The event takes place, then there's guilt. And guilt isn't a bad thing. The Bible talks about godly sorrow leads us towards repentance. Like there's, a, there's, a, a, there's true value to guilt. Guilt is not a bad thing if it's dealt with properly. If it's not dealt with properly with repentance and turning back to God and looking to him for cleansing and grace and all that stuff, then it leads to this next thing called shame. And remember what shame is. Shame is this intense feeling of embarrassment that leads us to feel like we're not worthy of love. It's, we're not supposed to feel shame. This is not a good thing. But if we don't deal properly with shame, and we're going to talk about what most of us do at this point in a second, because we don't like shame. But if we don't deal properly with shame, then it start, t- turns into this thing called self-condemnation. Self-condemnation is when you turn on you. It's like, man, I can't believe I did this, and you know, this I shouldn't have done this, and I'm a horrible person, and I'm... I suck, and I this, and I'm, you know, I'm, and you start to condemn yourself. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you hear that voice in your head every day. You've turned on yourself because of what has happened to you or something you've done. And if we don't turn things around at this point, it gets even darker towards self-hatred, self-loathing. We start to despise ourselves. It's not just that we're dogging ourselves. Now we don't even... 
There's nothing about ourselves that we actually like. There's, there's, no, there's nothing worth redeeming. There's no goodness inside of us. We start to hate ourselves. And if things don't turn around at this point, it gets even darker and move towards self-harm. And self-harm is everywhere today. From the old to the young. What does it look like? Well, I, I, I'm... I'm not worthy of love, I'm worthless, I hate myself, so life really doesn't matter, so I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go sabotage my life, I'm gonna go on a spending spree, I'm gonna overdrink, I'm gonna overeat, I'm gonna over Netflix, I'm gonna, over, I'm gonna overdo every. I don't care. I'm gonna treat people like trash, I'm gonna say whatever, I, my, I become reckless with my life. It doesn't matter, I'm not worth anything anyway. So we go on a, so we spend all of our money. It's just crazy how we treat ourselves. And some people even turn to self, physical self-harm. Things like, you know, taking pills and, and, and cutting. And, and all that starts to make sense when, when you realize that this, this is really what's taken place. This isn't where we started. We started way back here, but this is where, where it led. And even now, as I talk through some of the areas where we feel shame, you know, from a broken marriage or a bankruptcy or a DUI or even now, some of you feel it coming up and rising up inside of you. And I want to tell you today, as you feel the shame come up inside of you because of the things that have happened in your past, God wants to deal with that right now. He wants to show you a way out of that as you sense it rise up inside of you. But we don't really know how to do it. So here we get to this point right here. We hate shame. We despise shame. So you know what we do? Because we don't know how to deal with it biblically, we turn to false remedies. Every single one of us have done this. We're like, well, I don't want to feel so embarrassed. I don't want to feel so shameful. So we turn to a false remedy. What's a false remedy? It's just a way to cover up the shame. That's all it is. It's exactly what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden when they messed up. They blew it. God told them, do not eat from the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They do it. And watch what happens in verse 7 of chapter 3 in Genesis. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt what? Shame. First time this word appears in the Bible. First appearance of the emotion itself. They suddenly felt shame because of what? Of what they did. They disobeyed God. So look what they did. Verse 7. So they sewed fig leaves together to do what? Say it with me. To cover themselves. That's what we do with shame. That's a false remedy. I don't like this feeling of being exposed. So let's sew together some fig leaves to cover ourselves, to cover up our shame. Pastor Aaron from the Banta campus wanted me to get uh, uh, some fig leaves and show it to you and try to cover myself. I said, man, that'll distract everybody. (laughs) Bantha, don't you love your campus pastor, Pastor Aaron? We love him. They, 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 they wanted to cover. That's what we want. That's what we do. That's all we know to do. I, gotta, I, gotta, I don't want people to see what I have done, and we've been covering up ever since. And some of us cover up by having a clean house. Some of us cover up by going to the gym every day just so we can have a body that looks like it's in shape. Some of us cover up with our hair and our nails. Some of us cover up with a low golf score. I'm being serious. Now, those things are not necessarily bad. It's not bad to have a clean house. It's not bad to have a a body that's in shape. It's not bad to have a low golf score. I'm not saying that. But those things can be used as fig leaves to cover up so that when you look at me, hey, did you hear about my low golf score? Hey, hey, did you hear I can bench press 200 and something pounds? You see how clean my house is? My kids got straight A's. Bumper sticker on the back, honor roll student. See that? You know, all you got to do is drive around town and see the bumper stickers. 
I'm not saying the bumper stickers are wrong. Don't hear me say that. I'm just saying they could be a cover-up. This is what John Eldridge said in his book, Wild at Heart, years ago. Most of what you encounter when you meet a man is a facade, an elaborate fig leaf, a brilliant disguise. What do men talk about when they get together? What they've accomplished, what they've done, how much they make, how much they press, how much they, how low their scores are. I'm not saying all men do this. I'm not saying every person does this. But this is the response to shame. We want to cover up. And here's the issue. It doesn't work. It, it never works. It might work like, in terms of like fooling people. People might, people might actually think you have it together, right? And this has never been easier to do before because of Instagram and Facebook. You know, it's the highlight reel. It's people's. How about somebody post something terrible about their life when their dog vomits and their kid slips in it or something? Like, post that, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> show people how horrible your life really is. Don't show them your highlights. It's a facade, it's a fake, and we look at it, and then we envy people's posts, We're like, oh, look how handsome their kids are, look, look, look at their vacation, it's like, well, that's their highlights. Come on, let's, let's show some photos of them packing for the vacation <laughs> when they were strangling each other and cussing at each other. Where's those photos? They're not there, right? It's never been easier before in the history of the world to put on a facade, a, to, to, to cover up re, of what's, what's really going on. And, but we're able to do this sometimes for decades. And here's, but here's what happens in the long run. The whole time when you're covering up and giving this image of perfection or what you want other people to see to hide your shame, you are still feeling in your own soul unworthy. You may have fooled everybody else, but you have not fooled yourself. And that's why the false remedies don't work. That's why we need to talk about what really does work and what really does solve the issue of shame. I want to give you two ideas today to get, at the, to get at shame and have some healing in our soul. The first one is this. We have to reach out to somebody who actually cares. We have to connect with someone who actually rip, gives a rip about our lives. Someone who will jump in a hole for us and sacrifice for us. Someone who will tell us the truth even if it hurts. Someone who has only one agenda and that is to see what is best for us. If you want to solve the issue of shame, you have to, in, you have to trust somebody and talk to them about it. Here's why I feel unworthy. Here's where my source of shame is. Ten years ago, I did this. I still feel horrible about it, and I condemn myself for it, and I even hate myself for it. You have to tell somebody that. Because what happens when we tell somebody that, you receive this thing called hope. You receive empathy, and empathy is a powerful thing. In Brene's research, she, she, she's not writing from a Christian perspective. She doesn't include the Bible or God into the scenario. She's working with what she's got, which is humanity. And this is her major solution. Listen to what she says about empathy. Empathy is connection. It's a ladder out of the shame hole. Meaning this, when, 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 when you connect with someone and say, here's what's going on, here's why I feel shame, here's what I'm, why I'm self-condemning, here's why I hate myself, here's why I've self-harmed and another person hears your story, they empathize. And empathy is, is basically feeling your emotion without taking on your problem. If you take on the person's problem, that gets all weird, and now you know, there's all kinds of you know, you know, problems in the relationship. 
you feel their pain and you understand what they're going through. And that gives the other person hope. Because here, here's what the devil does. Here's what the devil does. It's not just, this is not just the devil, but this is just our own mind as well. He wants us to think that we're all alone in our, in our shame. That no one else is feeling. And, and when you look at everybody's facades and everybody's fig leaves, it seems like you're all alone because everybody else has got it together. But you, <laughs> you feel unworthy. You feel like nobody loves you. And you'll stay in that spot if you don't talk to somebody about it. This is what I believe Paul was talking about, at least somewhat, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. He said, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love your neighbor as yourself. So to love your neighbor as yourself means you're going to carry each other's burdens. Well, shame is one of those burdens. And in the Greek, this word carry, if you, if you study the Greek word, and the New Testament was written in Greek, the word carry means to carry. It's deep. It's really deep stuff when you get into the Greek language, you know. It's like, wow, it's so insightful. No, it means to pick up and put it on your back. Like our job is to carry each other's burdens. This is why we're so big into small groups at this church. And say, hey, get in a group, get in a group, get in a group. Because the design is for a big church to become small. And in that small context, you find one person who can empathize with you. In fact, this last week, Pastor Brent was telling me about a conversation in his small group about anxiety. That's what the small groups discussed last week. And what somebody said in the small group, you know, it's amazing that when it comes to the issue of anxiety, Christians don't talk about it. Because the stigma is, well, you're not supposed to have it because you're a Christian, you know. And because we don't talk about it, Christians feel all alone in their anxiety. And when you feel alone in your anxiety because you're not talking about it, you, go, you get plunged deeper and deeper and deeper until someone commits suicide. How can Christians commit suicide over anxiety? Well, they feel like they're alone. Nobody else is struggling with it. Why? Because no one's talking about it. No one's empathizing. No one's saying, man, I struggle with that too. I had an anxiety attack last week. Wow. And so all of a sudden you hear, wait a second, you did too? I'm not the only one? There's a way out of this? Like, we can do this together? You see the power of empathy, yes or no? It pulls you out of the shame hole. You don't have to be ashamed because that's no, it's normal for a Christ follower to struggle with levels of anxiety. Sometimes high, sometimes low. And we carry each other's burdens through it. So number one, you have to connect with somebody who cares. Don't get on Facebook and tell everybody your problems. Guess why? Because they don't care. You've heard it here. <laughs> they don't. They don't. You think they do. They don't. Don't mistake Facebook friends for friends. They are not your friends. Okay? So connect with somebody who actually cares. But then number two, and Brene Brown doesn't take it this far because she's not writing from a biblical perspective. But number two, we have to embrace, fully embrace the grace of God. We have to fully embrace God's grace. If we go back to the story in Genesis, what we see happen next in verse 8 and verse 9 is amazing. Adam and Eve sin, they blow it. They, they cover themselves up with some fig leaves. They cover their shame. Watch what happens in verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. He was physically there. So, because they were still wrapped up in shame, what did they do? So they say with me, they hid themselves. Because that's what you do when you feel ashamed. Oh, I'm going to hide. They hid them, themselves from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called out to the man these three 
powerful, life-changing words. Where are you? What does that mean? Here's what it means. When you and I miss the mark, when you and I are the bad version of ourselves, when we disobey, when we eat the fruit that we shouldn't eat, when we do the thing we shouldn't do, God doesn't run the other direction. He takes a walk towards us. Pastor Brent, pastor of the Franklin campus, he said it best when we were talking about this. He he said, in the midst of our shame, God moves towards us. Where are you? Maybe today that's what some of you needed to hear. Because your concept of God is, man, when I blow it, I feel like he wants to get a hammer and just crush me. How could you do this? You horrible, terrible sinner. It's just not true. In our shame, God moves towards us and he says, where are you? Psalm 103 verse 14 says it like this. He knows that we are weak and he remembers that we are only dust. He made us from the dust. He made Adam from the dirt. And when we die, and I don't mean to be gross, when we decompose, we go back to what? Dirt. He knows, he knows, he knows there's no good version of us. He knows there's only us. <laughs> and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move towards you even though you're going to blow it, even though you're going to sin, even though you are weak. And what does he do next? Many of us overlook this as we read through the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Watch what God does next. And then the Lord God made clothing from animal skins from Adam, for Adam and his wife. The fig leaves didn't cover. <laughs> it wasn't enough. So God goes to some animals. We don't know what kind of animals. Poor little guys, whatever they were. And God... I don't mean to be graphic. I don't mean to make him sound mean. He's not. He kills the animals. And he takes their skins off and he makes some clothing, just like we would do today, to cover Adam and Eve. Now, there's a practical reason for this. The fig leaves just weren't big enough to cover, and the animal skins did a better job, but there's a much deeper meaning to this. This is the first example of blood being spilled on planet Earth. This is the first death of a a living creature. Animals die so that Adam and Eve can be covered. What does that sound like to you? Does that sound like the gospel to you? Jesus Christ dies on a cross. He sheds his blood. His body is broken. He gives up his, his spirit. He physically dies so that we can be covered. Not physically, not clothing, but our shame. The gospel, if fully embraced, removes all of our shame. In your notes, I wrote it like this. Grace and shame cannot coexist. It's impossible. If you fully embrace the grace of God, what what room is there for shame? Remember what shame is. This is intense embarrassment about what you've done or something that's done to you or not living up to the standards of culture. Like, if you embrace God's grace and he says, look, I've covered you. I'm just, I'm going to cover your whole person. 
My blood covers your, your shame and your guilt. What room is there for shame? They can't coexist. In fact, Brennan Manning understood this perhaps better than anybody. He's famous for his book, Ragamuffin Gospel, but he also wrote others. This one's called Ruthless Trust. Listen to what Manning says here. Wallowing, for Christians, he's talking to Christians, wallowing in shame, remorse, self-hatred, and guilt over real or imagined failings in our past lives portrays a distrust in the love of God. It shows that we have not accepted the acceptance of Jesus Christ and thus have rejected the total sufficiency of his redeeming work on the cross. If you are wallowing in shame and and self-hatred and self-loathing and self-condemnation that's leading to self-harm, you're not understanding the grace of God. You are distrusting the love of God. Because when Christ died on the cross, God the Father was saying to you and I, I have seen everything you have ever done and I still love you. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, this is what the Bible says. But God showed his great love for us by sending his son to die for us. Watch this. While we were sinners. Christianity isn't about you getting your act together and then maybe God will like you. It's not what, it, it's, not what it's about. Christianity is about God saying ahead of time, I already love you. I already like you. And I've already proved it by having my son have his body broken and his blood spilled to cover you. You don't have to get yourself together to come to me. I'm going to come to you. In the midst of your shame, I'm going to take a walk through the cool of the day in the garden, just like I did with Adam and Eve, and I am going to come towards you. I'm not going to run away from you. And I'm going to offer you grace, and I'm going to offer you forgiveness. That is the gospel and it's beautiful and when you fully embrace it it chases shame right out of your soul and it stops the cycle from guilt to shame to self-condemnation to self-hatred to self-harm it breaks that cycle how do you break it you go talk to somebody who cares about you and you fully embrace the grace of God let me ask you two questions today who do you need to talk to who is it? And don't put my name on there. Listen, I can bear some burdens, okay? Oh, I need to talk to Pastor Denny because he cares. I do care about you, but I'm not your small group leader, okay? Who do you need to talk to? Who, who is that person that you need to finally admit the feelings of shame and self-condemnation and self-hatred? Call them and have coffee this week. Talk about it. And what you'll discover is you're not alone. You'll receive empathy. And then number two, will you allow God's grace to replace your shame? Will you make a decision to fully embrace the grace of God in your life? One of the beautiful things that I love about being a Christian, which is totally separate in many ways from being a pastor. I know I'm sort of a professional Christian because I'm a pastor, but I try to separate those as much as I possibly can. My walk with Jesus is my walk with Jesus, whether I'm a pastor or whether I sell insurance or whatever. One of the most beautiful things about being a Christ follower is understanding who I am from God's perspective. 
when I, when I fully embraced the grace of God, I was able to see myself as God sees me, not as I see me. Because if I look at me from my own perspective, I look at myself through the lens of all of the crap I've done. Remember the bad you? All the shouldn't have, and I shouldn't have never said, and I shouldn't have ever done, I shouldn't have ever gone, and I, I look at myself, and you do too, we look at ourselves through the lens of all of the shoulds or shouldn'ts. And when we look at ourselves through that lens, we end up with this, ah, oh, man, failure, failure, failure. But when we choose to look at ourselves as God sees us, someone worthy of dying for, we start to become tender with ourselves. Here's what I mean by that. You go through life and you try to live well with the power of the Spirit inside of you. You try to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit on a daily basis and you mess it up. Well, what do you do when you mess it up? Do you plunge into guilt and shame and self-condemnation and self-hatred and self-love? Maybe. If you if you don't choose to see yourself as God sees you, if you don't choose to look at yourself and your failures as God sees it, then you turn to him and say, man, I blew it, I'm so sorry, you know. I know you still love me, I know I'm still a child of God, I know I'm still valued in your sight, I know you died for me, but you cleanse me, pick me back up, keep me walking. You become tender with yourself and you break that cycle every time you start to go down it, every single time, because we mess up all the time, yes or no? We mess up all the time, yes or no? Am I the only one? <laughs> we mess up all the time. So we have to embrace the grace of God, we've gotta talk about it, and then something else happens on top of that. You become tender with other people. You become a person who, 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 who can empathize with others' failures and sins and, why? Because you know you're broken. Like, who am I to judge? I'm broken. You know, yeah, but I did this. I, I know I, I probably would have did the same thing if I were in your shoes. Yeah, because I'm just, I'm a flawed, broken person walking by the grace of God. Yeah, I'm not going to judge you. Let's walk together. And you become tender, not just with yourself, but you become tender with other people. Listen, this explains, this explains the, the paradox of prostitutes selling their body but yet walking side by side with Jesus. How else do you explain that? The worst of the worst, the scum of the earth, side by side with Jesus. Why, how? Because when they, when they looked in his eyes, what did they see? They saw what? Grace, not judgment. Love and tenderness. He was the friend of sinners. He's madly in love with you and he proved it. Maybe today for the first time, some of you, something cl clicked with some of you. And I've never seen God that way. I've never understood God that way. I just always thought he wanted to punish me. He loves you. He doesn't overlook sin. And grace isn't a license to, to go on sinning. Paul dealt with that in Romans 6. He said, shall we sin that grace may abound? No, God forbid. That's a misunderstanding of grace. But maybe today, maybe today for the first time, you understand God's heart towards you. And maybe today you'd like to receive his grace. Christ died for you, proving his love for you. And all you need to do is trust him. I'm gonna say a simple prayer of faith. It's a prayer of trust. If you've never done this before, just take these words, make them your own. Put your faith in Christ. 
and you'll become his child today. You'll receive grace and mercy from him. Will you pray with me if you feel led to? Take these words and make them your own. Dear Jesus, I ask you to to wash away all my sin, to remove the shame. I believe you died on the cross and you rose again to cleanse my life, to make me your own. I ask you to be my savior. Fill my soul right now with peace and joy, purpose and meaning. And help me from this day forward love you, to honor you, to trust you. It's in Christ's name I pray. And everybody said, amen.